Well, good morning. It's good to be here. It's always good to be back. Um, I'm excited to share some thoughts from the Word. I'm, I'm really excited today. Uh, my mom bought me new pants. Um, I think she got embarrassed this summer when my pants didn't really fit well, so I've got new pants. And I had somebody re- rebound my Bible. So uh, if this message is anything like my Bible, it's going to be great. Um, I want to be really clear about my goal this morning. Next Sunday is Friend Day, and I, I, I sincerely believe that Jesus can change your friends' lives. And I think that oftentimes why Jesus doesn't change our friends' lives is because God allows us to play a part, and we choose not to. And I think that Jesus can change your friends' lives. And so this morning, I'm going to preach the gospel. And I hope that the gospel, more than anything else that I might have to say, would motivate you to go and invite your friends. One of my best friends became a believer, and it all started when a girl invited him into our campus ministry. Um, One of Wesley Hill's good friends that Wesley made a big impact on his life became a believer because my friend that became a believer invited him, and multiple people shared the gospel with him, and it changed his life. And so I I hope um, this morning that I can lay out the gospel and that it motivates us and compels us to live differently. But this morning, I want to share the gospel um, with a passage that maybe we don't talk about a ton and in a way that maybe we don't talk about it a lot. Um, not that we need it to be presented in a, or should need it to be presented in a fresh way for it to change our hearts, but um, I just read it a week or two ago, and I was like, that's, that's powerful stuff. And so I just want to share that with, with all of us. But before we can talk about the good news of what God is doing, we have to go back to the beginning. Most of us know that um, creation begins, God makes Adam and Eve, and he gives them some free will. He gives them a choice. He places them in this garden, and he says, um, you have the choice to obey me and love me, or to go your own way. And we know Adam and Eve, they, they go and they eat from the tree, and um, I, I don't know about the past, but I can speak for now, people generally regard that as a bad decision. Because of everything that happens as a result of that. Sin enters the world. Pain, suffering, hurt. And what we refer to as the fall brings what we know today. Adam and Eve, God gives them the choice. And and apparently God knows the potential consequences of their sin. But he also knows the potential consequences of them loving and obeying him. And he sees that it's worth it. And so rather than creating us to be robots, he gives them a choice. And Adam and Eve make their choice, and sin enters the world. And they sow sinfulness, and it, it reaps its benefits, or like thereof, in our world. We know the repercussions of the fall because we felt what it's like to live in a sinful world. But God has a plan, and so he, he goes to a Babylonian guy named Abram. And God ends up changing his name to Abraham, but he says, from you, a nation will come. I'm, gonna, I'm calling you out to leave this nation, and your descendants are going to be so numerous that they turn into their own nation. And through your descendants, Genesis 12, 3, all people on earth will be blessed. And so God promises that through Abraham's descendants, the nations will be blessed. Today we are going to talk about the gospel and how it relates to salvation. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of salvation. But Jesus also talked about the gospel of the kingdom. 
And Jesus said before he returns that the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all ethne, all people groups, before he returns. And so we're going to talk about the gospel of the kingdom first as God begins to preach that and share that with the Israelites in the Old Testament. And this is the good news of the kingdom, that God is destroying evil. God promises that one day all of this that's, that's broken, everything that's messed up, God is going to do away with. God says that one day he'll establish his kingdom, and when his kingdom comes and his kingdom is established, that evil will be done away with. Um, probably about two weeks ago, I was, I was scrolling through Facebook um, before I went to bed. And I have a friend um, that works in Tuscaloosa. She works with some high school and college girls. She went here. Most of you know Trish Wilkerson. Shared a post on Facebook, and so I'm, I'm reading through it. And it was, um, she shared it for the high school and college girls she works with. And it was a, a story that a, a woman told about her daughter in Tuscaloosa. Her daughter was at home studying one night, and um, she decided she'd get in the car um, and, and head back. They had, they had gotten done studying. They finished everything they needed to do, so she, she was heading back. But as she got in the car, she realized that her car was almost out of gas. And so she decided, I, I probably need to stop for gas. And, and she usually, she was a pretty safe person. You know, she wouldn't do things that would put her in any type of danger, but she really needed gas, and this gas station was right at the edge of her neighborhood, and her family had known the owners of the gas station for about eight years. So she pulls into the gas station, and, and she's getting ready to get some gas, and um, she was also in a boot. She had had a sports injury. And so she, she gets ready to start pumping her gas, and this white SUV pulls up. And a woman gets out and says, hey, how are you doing? And the daughter said the woman was pretty nice, but something seemed a little bit off. She said, hey, I'm doing well. How are you? She starts pumping her gas, and she noticed the woman walks from the car and pretends to walk inside the gas station, but then loops back around and starts to circle around the car where she couldn't see through the rearview mirror. And she felt a little bit suspicious, so she, she went and she sat in the driver's seat but left the door open because she didn't want them to know that she felt unsafe. And as she sits there and her gas is pumping, she sees out of the corner of her eye this woman start to step over the gas hose. She starts panicking and so she slams the door shut and hits the lock button and this woman walks up and, and starts banging on the window and says, get out, I just wanna talk to you. And as this is happening, she looks and she sees three or four men walking out of the gas station exchanging money. Some of you might know I-20 that runs through Tuscaloosa is known as America's trafficking highway. This woman said if her daughter hadn't known that, then she doesn't know what would have happened. Thankfully, the, the girl pulled out her phone and she started texting and calling for help. And at this point, all the people have surrounded the car, but when they see her pull her phone out, they panic and they get in the car and drive off. And as I read that the other night, I, I couldn't sleep. I started thinking about a, a certain girl that just turned 16 and started driving that I love very much. 
And this anger started welling up inside of my heart, and I, I couldn't sleep because I wanted to do something. Because we know that evil should not exist. We know that evil should be done away with. And in our hearts, when we see wrong, we want that to be done away with, even in our sinful state. It's why when we grow up, and I, and I went to school, and we learned about Hitler and the Nazis, we talk about it like it's a good thing that that's over. It's why when we talk about the KKK, we talk about it like it's a good thing that they don't have the influence that they used to, but that it's a bad thing that it exists at all. We know that evil should be done away with. In Genesis 12, God starts to speak to Abraham, and he says, through your people, all nations on earth will be blessed. As I establish my kingdom, evil and the suffering and the pain and the hurt that come along with it are going to be done away with. When God spoke of his kingdom, he wasn't necessarily talking about this, you know, this castle that would be built. But he says, when the Bible talks about kingdom, it means God's rule and his reign established in people's hearts. And so as people turn to God, they stop living for evil and they start living for righteousness. And God promises that one day that that's going to happen. A good example of this in the Old Testament is the Israelites entering the promised land. You know, a lot of times we struggle with the question of why would God allow or even tell the Israelites to go and kill people when they entered the promised land? A lot of times we also ask the question, why, why does God let bad things happen to good people? God tells the Israelites to go and enter the promised land, and when he tells them to take this land, God doesn't tell them to go in and kill the people that are living there because he's just a cruel God. But it's because it's part of God's mission and his kingdom spreading and destroying evil. A lot of times we think, God, how could you, how could you do such a thing? And you can see why the, the two questions don't match up because bad things happen to good people because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And we get frustrated at God. But then when God deals with the sin and God deals with the evil, then we start to get frustrated at him again. And you can see how they don't really match up. See, the thing was, when God sent the Israelites into the promised land, and he said, I want you to take these people, take their cities, God wasn't doing it to be cruel. He was going out and goodness was conquering over evil. The Canaanites were the people that lived in this land, and, and most of them, they worshiped a God named Molech. And the people that worship Molech, uh, I, was, I was reading this past week about some of the things, their worship practices. The Canaanites we know, some from scripture and then also just from um, people, archaeologists uncovering remains. They would do what they called a, of many things, they would perform a foundation sacrifice. They would build this new home and they would lay the foundation and they would sacrifice one of their children just so that they, because they thought God's blessing would be on this house. They regularly performed child sacrifices for many other reasons. And, and not only that, but without getting into too much detail, the, the remains that we've uncovered have showed that they just lived in, in rampant sexual immorality. And when God tells his people to go and take the land, it's him doing away with evil. And in fact, God told Abraham, he made that covenant in Genesis 12, but every time he makes the covenant again, he clarifies it a little bit more to Abraham. And he said in Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, that his descendants would not take 
the promised land until the full measure of their sin had taken place, until they had fully given themselves to evil. And the truth is, these people had the opportunity to repent. God's kingdom begins to spread, and and his reign goes out. God promised that through Abraham's descendants, the nations would be blessed. And he called Israel to be a light to the nations, and that begins to happen. Joshua chapter 2, Rahab, the, the spies get ready to enter the promised land. And they come to Rahab, and Rahab says, um, you're the Israelites, I, I know who you are. The people in this city, the people that are worshiping Molech, the people that are sacrificing their own children to move into a new home, they've heard about who your God is, and they are melting away in fear because they know that your God is the God of heaven and the God of earth. She said, we heard about what your God did in Egypt. Most of us know the, the VBS story. They, they go through the Red Sea, and, and the Israelites make it through. And then the Egyptians go through, and the waters come down. And Egypt was a powerhouse at that time. And she said, people all around the world have heard about what your God did, and they are melting away in fear. And God's kingdom begins to spread as his rule takes over Rahab's heart. But do you notice something out of all the people in that city? How many of them, with the knowledge of who God was, with the knowledge of what was right, how many of them turned to God? From what we know, it was just Rahab. Just Rahab and her family are spared. God's kingdom and the fear of God begins to spread throughout the earth. 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 1, the queen of Sheba. God's, God's fear begins to spread throughout the earth because of what happened in Egypt. And then Solomon comes, and he has wisdom like nobody else has had. And the queen of Sheba says, look, everybody throughout the earth has heard about the wisdom that your God has given you, and I've come to hear about it. Genesis chapter 14 and, and Hebrews 5 and 6 talk about Melchizedek. This king of Jerusalem that wasn't just a king, but he was a priest of the Most High God. And so not only did he have a fear of God, but he taught his people to as well. A lot of times we think that that God's kingdom just began in Israel until Jesus came, and then it begins to spread out. And I'm not downplaying what Christ has done, but I am saying that God's kingdom, he had already begun to share good news through Abraham, through Israel, to the nations. That the pain and the suffering, everything that was a result of the sin of the world, that God was doing away with. And that God was taking back what was his. Acts chapter 2, Pentecost, we hear that there are God-fearing Jews from every nation. And as the Jews begin to spread out, God's light goes into the nations. So God makes his name go out and the kingdom begins to spread. And God promises to destroy evil. But he says to the Israelites, and this is what I want to get to today, what he says to the Israelites is that it's not just going to happen through a Rahab here and a Melchizedek there. But God promises that there will be one day when God's kingdom comes to rest for good and evil is done away with for forever. Daniel chapter two, verse 44, it says this. 
In the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. And the Israelites longed for that day. They longed for the day when the kingdom of God would come and be established and the repercussions of the fall of man, even though it's our fault and our responsibility when God would do away with that. Isaiah chapter 61, turn with me there. And this is what the Israelites longed for. This is what they looked forward to. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. The Israelites knew that one day, through the prophets, God spoke and he said the Messiah is going to come. And so the, the Israelites talked about, and you can look all throughout the book of Amos, it talks about the day of the Lord. Maybe we would call it judgment day. But the Messiah would come and God would judge evil. And he would do away with it. And how many of us have the good news to the poor bind up the brokenhearted? How many of us have felt brokenhearted? I'm on a college campus almost every day, and I know how many students feel brokenhearted. But I know that it's not just college students. How many of us know what it feels like to feel brokenhearted? Freedom for the captives, and, and how many of us have felt captive to our sin, to an addiction, to anxiety, or to fear? Captive to the unknown to release from darkness for the prisoners and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we long for that day. We long for that day. We know that evil should be destroyed. We know that it's not right. And we long for the day when God will comfort those who mourn for eternity. The problem is as good of news as it is that God is doing away with evil, when I start to really think about it, maybe it ends up not being very good news. Because I can always point to somebody that pulled, out, pulled up in a white SUV and say, man, I would, I would never kidnap somebody. But when I look at my own life and the, the sin that fills this world, I know that I've contributed to the problem. And I'm part of the issue. Every selfish action, every lie I've told, Every time I've gossiped, I used, to, I used to joke last year, I lived in a dorm, and I used to joke about how, you know, what's the difference between a two-minute shower and a 30-minute shower? The water bill is the same. And how many of us have lived in materialism and contributed to the suffering of other people for ourselves? I mean, how many people live yearning for clean water, and you can't tell me that we haven't contributed, every single one of us, to the suffering in the world? We can't be mad at Adam and Eve because we've all done the same thing. And so when the good news comes that God is going to do away with evil, that seems like good news for creation. But for me, maybe not compared to other people, but compared to the cross, it's not too good a news. Compared to God Almighty, I find myself in a rough place. Luke chapter 4, 
starting in verse 14. This is what Jesus says. It says that Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He taught in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And they didn't, they had scrolls, they didn't have pages with chapters and verses, but if they had, he would have gone down to where chapter 61 starts and he, he finds it and he starts reading. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolled up the scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And it's like you can hear a pin drop in the room. It says the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said the Messiah has come, the Messiah that you've longed for, that would bring freedom for the captives. The Messiah has come. But John the Baptist is confused. John the Baptist knew the Messiah is coming, and I'm looking forward to that. And I believe it's Matthew chapter 3, verse 3. He sends some people to Jesus, and he says, are you the one that we're supposed to be waiting for? Because the Israelites thought the Messiah is going to come. The Messiah is going to come and that's going to be the day of the Lord when God wipes out evil. And then Jesus comes and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. But John the Baptist looks around and he says, why does evil still exist? Jesus, are you the one we've been looking for? Do you notice what Jesus doesn't quote from Isaiah? Again, he didn't have verses, but if he had, he reads verse 1, and he starts to read verse 2, and he says, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. But what he doesn't say is the day of vengeance of our God. The Israelites thought it's going to happen on this day. The Messiah is going to come, and it's going to be the day of the Lord. And Jesus says, look, the Messiah has come. There's freedom for the captives. There's sight for the blind. But the day of the Lord has not come yet. It's good news that God is doing away with evil, but when that's you and me, that's not good news for us. But Jesus, the good news of salvation is that Jesus came and he said, I have come, and one day God is going to do away with evil. But right now, Jesus enacts a period of mercy where we could turn to him and through him we can be saved. That's the good news of salvation, that Jesus enacts this period of mercy and that through him we can be saved. The Israelites were upset. The Israelites wanted this kingdom to come for them. And you can look later on in the passage, verses 28 and 29, they try and throw Jesus off a cliff. He starts talking about how Gentiles can be saved, and they get upset. But Jesus says, look, the, the time when God is going to do away with evil, it is coming. And before we can begin to share hope with anybody else, we've got to believe that we have that hope. There are going to be days where you feel brokenhearted and it doesn't feel like it's true. There's going to be days where you feel captive and your life has to be anchored on the truth of the gospel, that God's kingdom is coming. And that one day God will fully establish his kingdom. 
And Jesus said that's begun to happen, but the day when it comes for good hasn't happened yet so that there would be a time of mercy when sinners can turn to me and be saved. How, how did Jesus do it? How would, he, how would he do that? Jesus did it despite the fact that there are greater forces at work. It's not just our own sin, but Satan and the forces of evil wanting us to, to live in sin and continue to be in bondage. Jesus, by his death and his burial and his resurrection that we remember every week, he defeated sin. He defeated death. He defeated Satan. He defeated sin when he lived a perfect life but still stepped in our place. He defeated death when he went to the grave and he rose again. And he defeated Satan by those of us that were held in his grip being released. The short of the gospel is that Jesus took our place so that we could take his. Christ deserved to be at the right hand of God and yet he came to earth. We deserve to suffer. We, we are the ones that have contributed to this world of evil. And yet Christ suffered for us. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. says, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. The Bible talks about a mystery a lot. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 9 and 10, it talks about this mystery. And when it talks about a mystery, it's talking about a secret, something that was not known that has been revealed. And it says that he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. The Israelites thought that the Messiah was going to come and it was going to happen then. They thought that God was going to do away with evil by coming and, and judging the earth. And Jesus comes and he says, look, that's the mystery that's been made known to you. It's not just for the Israelites, it's for the Gentiles. That's the secret, that God would not come and wipe out evil, but that he would win people back to him by being the one to suffer himself. As we get ready to take communion this morning, we remember Christ who shared in our flesh and blood and who took our place. The one who shed his body and his blood so that we, in this period of mercy, could be saved through him. As we go to the tables today, we don't just take communion because it's something we always do. We take it because it reminds us of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that saves us. When God could have dealt with us then, and God does promise redemption in the future, but now that we could find mercy through Jesus. In a moment, we're gonna worship and you have the chance to come to the tables and take communion. And as you do, remember Jesus' life and this time of mercy and how through him we can be saved. As we take communion, we proclaim that Christ has conquered the grave. And we proclaim that Jesus has defeated sin, he's defeated death, he's defeated Satan. But we know that one day, even though he's defeated but hasn't destroyed, that he will. A kid walked up to me after first service and he says, I know why God hasn't come back yet. And I said, why is that? And he said, because he's given us a second chance. He's won the battle, but he hasn't won the war. 
And I said, you know what, if you want to preach the sermon, you can have my mic. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I said, that's exactly right. We proclaim that he's defeated but hasn't destroyed, but we know that he will. And that's good news, not just for us, but it's good news for the people that we live and work with, the people that live in our neighborhoods, because the kingdom of heaven and the good news of that, the gospel of the heaven means good news for us because it means that God is going to do away with the pain. He's going to do away with the evil. And the gospel of salvation means that in this time of mercy, Jesus meets us here in the midst of our sin, however great it may be, so that through him we can be saved. God is on a mission and he is taking back what's already his. And through Jesus, Jesus says, look, you get to join the winning team. We get to stop fighting for the wrong side. When I think about what God has done for me, I can't imagine us, us hearing that and not wanting to share it with other people. I was meeting with a Chinese guy this past week. He just got to Troy, and so he came to a Bible study to practice his English. We started talking, and, and I, I kind of pulled an audible and, and didn't read the passage we were going to read, but I read Romans 6.23. And it took about an hour because his English isn't great and my Chinese is not existent. But we started talking through Romans 6.23, and I said, look, do you want to make Jesus your Savior and Lord and have the gift of eternal life? And he said, you know, he had to pull it up and, and pull out a dictionary, but he said, not for the time being. He said, this is a lot of information. And I said, yeah, it's probably not like anything you've heard before. But he said, I want to keep thinking about it because this sounds pretty fantastic. And I said, you know what, that sounds pretty fantastic to me too. How could we not want to share the good news? And yet oftentimes we find ourselves in that place. And Jonah did as well. Most of us know the story of Jonah. God tells Jonah, I want you to go and I want you to preach to the Ninevites and tell them to repent. And the Ninevites were a lot like the Canaanites and they were a lot like the Americans. They were really bad people. So he goes and he, he preaches to them, and eventually, lo and behold, the whole city repents. And what does Jonah do? Jonah gets mad. Jonah says, God, I can't believe, I, I'm mad at you that you would forgive them. I'm mad that you would forgive them. What was odd was that Jonah understood that there was good news for the Israelites, but he didn't understand that that went to the Gentiles too because he didn't realize just how unworthy he was and that he was just as unworthy as Nineveh. The crazy part of the story is that we know that the people on the boat with Jonah end up listening to God. The fish that swallows Jonah ends up listening to God. The city of Nineveh listens to God. And the story ends and we're never sure what happens to Jonah. There's a a book called You, Jonah, full of poems about Jonah, and this is what it says. It says, and Jonah stalked to his shaded seat, and he waited for God to come around to his way of thinking. And God is still waiting for a host of Jonas in their comfortable houses to come around to his way of loving. How often do we receive the good news and it stays here? And I... Praise God that God lets us be a part of his mission because I can't keep this to myself. And why would we want to? Jonah sat there and he wanted God to come around to his way of thinking, God bless me, God bless my people. And God is saying, you have been blessed to be a blessing. 
The Psalms say, all, God blesses us that the ends of the earth may fear him. God has blessed us with the good news of Jesus that more unworthy people might be blessed. We are unworthy. And how could we hear that and not want other unworthy people to find mercy through Jesus Christ? But the truth is, when we realize that we've been forgiven, we want other people to be forgiven as well. D-Day was the, the time in World War II when the Allies pretty much knew they had won the war. People say that that's the, the definitive battle, that the war was pretty much over there. But the war wasn't officially over until VE Day, and that's when the war in Europe was done. D-Day happened, but the war wasn't completely over until VE Day, because these follow-up battles needed to happen. The good news is not just that God lets us join the winning team and forgives us of our sins, but he gives us the gift of the Spirit to undo the destruction that sin brings, and he teaches us to fight for him. And God allows us to be a part of those follow-up battles, to bring the kingdom to earth in people's hearts as they submit their lives to God. And we do that by sharing the gospel. Earlier this summer, I shared 2 Corinthians 5, and it's, it's been a passage that's been on my heart for a long time, and it's, it's one of my favorite passages. It says that Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that we don't live for ourselves anymore, and then chapter 6 starts with, don't receive God's grace in vain. But as I read it lately, what really convicted me was that it says that Christ's love is what compels us. If you want to invite people to friend day and you want the gospel to become something that doesn't just change your life on Sunday, guilt is not what's going to compel you in the long run. I could throw out some really, really overwhelming statistics of how many unreached people groups there are and how large they are, but the statistics are not going to compel us. We could talk about hell and we need to talk about hell sometimes, but the hell that awaits sinners is not what's going to compel us. I could talk about the joy of baptizing my friend, and it was incredible, but even the joy of baptizing somebody is not what's going to compel us. What motivates us is the love of Jesus Christ in our lives. And so church, I ask you today, does Christ's love compel you? If you've never made the decision to follow Christ, then the same offer stands for you today. The word says that we don't have to be good enough, we don't have to know enough, we just have to believe that Jesus is our Savior and commit to making him our Lord. And if you want to join the winning team, then we can baptize you this morning. And this place would go nuts, but heaven would go nuts too. And God promises the gift of the Spirit to help you start living for him. And it's a lifelong change, but it could start today. And I pray that Christ's love would compel you to step out in faith. And for many of us, we live like Jonah. We've received the good news, and yet we, we keep it to ourselves. And listen, I'm not saying that you shouldn't be afraid because I get nervous sometimes. And I'm not saying we don't get discouraged because I get discouraged sometimes. But does Christ's love compel you not to live for yourself, but to live for him who died for us? God is waiting for a host of Jonas to come around to his way of loving. And what is his way of loving? His loving is to come and to suffer so that the lost people may know him. In church, our call is to suffer that more unworthy people might know him. Today, if you want to believe in Jesus Christ and put him on in baptism, then we can do that for you. If you need the prayers of this church, whether it's to repent or prayers of boldness or prayers of encouragement, we want to lift you up in prayer. Whatever your need is, I invite you to come while we stand and sing.